Excalibur is a 1982 retelling of the Arthurian legend directed by John Borman. It stars Nigel Terry, Helen Mirren, uh, Nicholas Clay, as well as some minor stars who you might recognize, such as Liam Neeson and Patrick Stewart. Uh, obviously, 30, 40 years younger, still super bald, still recognizably Captain Picard. Uh, it also, as a Game of Thrones connection, stars uh, Siren Hines. I hope I pronounce this guy Mance Raider. If, if you don't, if if, if uh, you don't recognize him from the name alone, uh, who has a very minor role as a guy named Lot, who I think you might blink and miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, if 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 you've if you've gone past the scene where Arthur's uh, holding a sword to some dude's throat in a river, you've you, you you've already gone too far. Uh, but he's in there too. Lots and lots of oh yeah, that guy from British filmmaking uh, and Irish filmmaking and Scottish filmmaking are kind of got their starts in this movie. Jim, what did you think of Excalibur? Uh, I think Excalibur is of its time, very much so. Uh, it, it came off to me as feeling pretty dated. The The film feels dated. It looks muddy. Uh, this HD conversion that we got, it didn't seem like they remastered it at all. Oh, they yeah, simply upscaled it and shit it out. Um the the editing you can tell was done before the age of computer editing mm. where they were just slicing up film yeah, yeah. and it shows in some clunky edits mm-hmm. uh ultimately i think the story hangs together pretty well although i found myself at times confused especially when dealing with merlin uh and some of the scenes he had with morgana morgana mm-hmm. i don't know how you say that mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I think I enjoyed it. Some of the stuff that does hold together are the battle scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's a lot of pretty good action if you can ignore like you know some obvious squibs and mm-hmm. weird choreography and stuff. But for the most part, it holds together. And then I felt like some of the actors they chose did really well. Like the guy who plays Arthur mm-hmm. showed a shocking amount of range, in my opinion, from yeah. boy squire all the way up to old man seasoned uh king arthur yeah he, he does a great job yeah it's funny because like this is the seg like uh conan kind of took us through that arc too young and all the way to old man sitting on the throne and we we got uh another another movie that vein it's so funny because this uh the guy that got to play um merlin which is i think is that no nicholas that wasn't it's nicole williamson um he was described in an article I read as the greatest actor since Marlon Brando. He was described in the late 70s that way. Whoa. And I felt like he made a lot of wrong choices. Oh, yeah. Its scales glisten in the bark of trees. Its roar is heard in the wind. And its forked tongue strikes like... Like... Oh, like lightning. Yes, that's it. Who's that guy that does the actor studio, James Lipton? It, it uh-huh. felt like him doing Merlin at some points because he just like whenever he felt way too pleased with himself in situations where it seemed like maybe he shouldn't be and just like very campy, very stagey performance. Yeah, the the across the board, I think everybody's kind of stagey, but the Merlin really stood out. Right, but when you see like a fairly naturalist performance from like the Arthur guy, but I mean, yeah. I could also get in his head and be like, well, I'm Merlin. I'm like this ancient being that may be living backwards in time and goes and sleeps through the years in my crystal cave. Like, this guy shouldn't be recognizably human. I I also read that John Borman was going for 
mythological truth rather than historical truth. And boy, howdy. Uh, none of this, none of the style of armor or castle work or dress or grooming even tries to be something approaching uh, accurate for what this, this, like, this is supposed to be set in the dark ages, mm-hmm. but yet they're all wearing like this full plate mail. Like it's like the, the very, like almost enlightenment time. And um, they're just, it, but, but they're trying to. And I don't know, because that's another thing that's very hard for me to, to interface with, because I felt like we kind of came of age during the the age where people are like, you know what? We'd rather we actually want to sweat the details. We want actually want to hire a historian to go through and make because like the more speci- things that are more specific or feel more real. They make things funnier. Mm-hmm. They make things sadder. They make things more heroic. So like, you know, I was I cut my teeth on like Robin uh, um, Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, which you can say a lot of shit about. But like they sweated details on costuming and and even lord of the rings where like they're trying to like take this fantastical armor and 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 root it in real life civilizations and cultures so it feels real you know it just doesn't feel costume and when you see the uh, productions that don't like we just watched um season of the witch where it's like (laughs) obviously no one gave a fuck about any kind of accuracy and it feels jarring that even in a silly project with witches and demons that like didn't like this armor looks ridiculous so to me, that stuff reads as like camp or lazy, but I don't think that's like that's not a correct way to interpret this work. That's fair, but I think I think look, Mister no, Mister Mister Borman, right? Uh, there's a way to do both, and and I I don't want to throw too much shade because this is 1981, but four years before that, Star Wars kind of did both, right? They sweated a lot of those details when it came down to costuming, when it came right. down to the 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 world building and stuff. And they also told this Arthurian legend, which can I just say, I am not up on my Arthurian legend. I know I've had like 1500 years or something to get up on it, but I'm not. Uh, And so every, at every turn in this plot, I was looking, Oh my God, there's star Wars. There's star Wars. Mm -hmm. That's star Wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I I feel like, you know, Lucas nailed that part of it, telling that big, broad mythical story while also incorporating a little bit of attention to detail. I had a friend, a friend in art class who was like uh, a teenage film buff, and it, it probably, if I still in touch with him, it would probably eat at his soul that I'm like some some kind of critic, and uh, that the his unwashed philistine friend is some kind of uh, pop culture critic, and I don't know what he's doing nowadays. <laughs> but his favorite thing to do is like I would come in and be excited about something that I'd seen, and he'd be like, you know. Uh, Oh, you like a gladiator? I like the first time when I saw a Spartacus, and then I go watch Spartacus, and I'm like, "All right, well, I like Gladiator better, but I can understand. <laughs> I, I see what you mean." And yeah. I remember this was like a conversation that, like, I was talking about first night, which first night is like even further. Like, first night they're essentially wearing street clothes that have like a, a shiny like pauldron, like a single <laughs> single shield shaped thing, and they got a shiny helmet on, and that's like they don't even huh. give a fuck. This is like almost Shakespeare in the park level of production, and he's like, oh, I like it better the first time when it's Excalibur, and it's you know, and it's got like real you know, it's it's R, it's not PG thirteen and all that. So I watched Excalibur as like a seventeen year old, and it was tough sledding, but. You know, Patrick Stewart got me by and like some of the, the, the nudity got me by. <laughs> um, but so I, I feel like this going for this mythological correctness of history, it kind of bothers me because I, I now associate that stuff as kind of like camp and amateur or not serious mm-hmm. or lazy or and and 
so yeah, and and there is some rough stuff like when you when an Arthur builds his castle, I swear to God, it looks like it's built out of blocks of recycled aluminum. He he took a ten thousand cans beer cans, melted them down. That's one brick that's in. It, it's all all the armor of the of the knights he slayed in order yeah. to take the yeah. kingdom. He just yeah. melted it down into a castle. It's like the Iron Throne. This is the aluminum castle, <laughs> and it just looks. It cheap looks silly. and weird, but it's so yeah. weird because you like the the round table itself looks amazing. Yeah, and while the armor is an, an, anachronistic, it is real. Like it looks, it looks real. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, and 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 this gets me back to the, the the look of Merlin. Like I think Merlin looks really cool. He's got that long flowing dark robe. He's got this weird steel skull cap. Yeah, what's up with that? I think it just makes him look borderline sinister and evil. Which I think you're supposed to understand that Merlin. Yeah is doing some kind of eugenics program to bring about a perfect leader to unite this tribe of barely civilized barbarians um, into into an actual nation. You know, they don't ever... Oh, yeah. You know, they don't actually talk about the British Isles as such, but it's the land. It's It feels very much like when you're watching, um, like, Hero, that Jet Li thing, where they're talking, you know, like, you don't know what country it's from, and but it's actually China. Like, they're just talking about things about the land and the people and mm-hmm. because it's supposed to be universal. Gotcha. Um, but like I said, and I also felt like this film comes across very much like uh, the, uh, the, the David Lynch adaptation of Dune, where the more familiar you are with like the Arthurian legend, the more you get out of it, the more like, oh, OK, I see what they're alluding to. Um, because if you don't know anything about the Merlin legend, I don't like when Helen Mirren comes down there and traps him in like a fucking piece of quartz you're like what the actual fuck <laughs> no, even happened one confusing scene for me in the yeah. entire movie yeah i don't know why it happened i the what is pretty obvious like mm. look she tricked him somehow and yeah. he ended up encased in carbonite right. uh but i don't know why it happened like i i know morgana is Arthur's sister and she seems to want some kind of revenge or at least mm-hmm. to learn magic from Merlin and he won't yeah. teach her. Yeah. But I don't know why the things that were happening in that scene were actually happening. Yeah, and you're also like later in a movie it almost feels like Merlin intended that to happen. Maybe he wanted to be a force ghost cuz so he, he could help out or, Arthur. Uh, um cuz cuz if if he didn't intend to happen then he just got tricked. Yeah, and it was like dumb luck and her own vanity that did her in, which also might be like he's going for something that's mythologically true. Like obviously none of this is historically true. I mean, obviously you can take just the Guinevere Lancelot Arthur love triangle and blow it up into a two-hour movie. That's what they did in First Night. <laughs> Here, this is like a kind of like a twenty-minute sequence, and it's 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 a long. And, all, and this is also very much influenced the. Uh, is it Sam O'Neill, the guy who did the the Jurassic Park guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That did the Merlin adaptation. Uh huh. I yeah. mean, this is that that mo- that's this only four hours long. And I also read that John Borman intended this to be a three hour long movie, and they didn't actually film it, but they cut it down to like a two hour ish. And that's it. It did feel like there's massive chunks yeah. of connective tissue because you just can't tell the entire, you know, Uther Pendragon to Mordred storyline in two hours and 15 minutes no this and, movie and do a good job of it yeah the movie felt like it was moving like yes. i i would get scenes that were there purely utilitarian scenes that needed to move you from plot to plot to plot mm-hmm. and like 
honestly coming off of army of darkness mm-hmm. i was shocked at how much was going on in this movie because army of darkness has almost no plot right this one has more plot than you can possibly fit into a single movie right uh and and it kind of suffers for that they they move too quickly but out of necessity for for the story they're trying to tell um i i think there's a lot of like you mentioned the guinevere uh Arthur Lancelot love triangle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe the most developed stuff in the entire film, yeah. aside from maybe the character of Arthur himself. Yeah. Um, and they do things that I associate with, you know, good filmmaking, like foreshadowing, right? Yeah. They have scenes that are kind of placed, you know, 15 minutes before the actual love triangle develops where Guinevere kind of gets a look from Lancelot and mm-hmm. she doesn't know what to make of it. And then, you know, she's riding with the, she's riding to Camelot, uh, being escorted by Lancelot, and there's a little bit of flirting there. Mm-hmm. And and then later, much later in the movie, it kind of unfolds. Mm-hmm. And then even down to, like, Arthur coming to terms with it as an old man, you know? Yeah. Uh, when he gets uh, Excalibur back. Well, that's the other thing is, like... And that stuff's good. That stuff works to me. It does work. I think there's a couple bumps in the road because, like, I didn't... When Lancelot comes in at the end... Uh, <laughs> the crazy-haired... Crazy shock of white... You know, white white dude afro just like like three feet long and he's fighting like he he looks much more like a gandalf type of figure especially when you know Mer- uh arthur's drank the grail and now he's like a you know a, a man 20 years younger yeah it felt cl- i'm like this doesn't look like lancelot um, and i got confused a lot of times too like when lancelot was defending guinevere's uh honor him and Liam Neeson's armor was so similar that I actually lost the plot. Is this a plot? Is it like, is Lancelot as good as he is? He can't fight with a sword through his hip. Cause I'm like, <laughs> God, I'm kind of surprised Lancelot's just getting beat down like this. But then it's like, Oh, I got confused. This is Liam Neeson getting beat down. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is, this is why Hollywood actors never wear their helmets in battle scenes because you put these dudes in t- even a hulking beast like Liam Neeson is hard to tell from this kind of slender built British guy when they're all wearing these giants tin can uh, armor. But I, I found it like it was easy for me to get lost because like Liam Neeson before he stood up and accused uh, Lancelot of, of of cheating on the king of, of cuckolding the king. <laughs> he had not a single line of dialogue. Yeah, but yeah. suddenly he stands up and he's like, "You're supposed okay, okay. This guy is a knight of the round table, and he is, uh, he he's 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 saying what everybody else is thinking." But there were those those little connective scenes where we needed a scene of like the knights talking amongst themselves about where's Lancelot. Well, I've heard he's stooping the queen, and then you know a skeptical Liam Neeson scowls, but then he starts noticing their smiles and their flirtations, and then Lancelot disappears, and all that mean. None of that no happened. Time. No so time just Liam that. Neeson stands up drunkenly and says, the queen's fucking Lancelot. Uh, and now there's a battle happening. And then he loses. And what did the... I don't know. It, it needed... I, I feel like they should have picked the acts of this... God, I feel like this is what we say every fucking movie. But they should have taken the individual acts and made them into movies. Or got rid of the Uther. Because here's the thing. What did they get by going back to Uther Pendragon? The fact that, like, lust... And love um, can undo a good man. A bad man doesn't really matter. Like it seems like it, there, there's some kind of echoes that they're doing with uh, these these magic babies. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think too much about it. I was uh, 
distracted by some of the filmmaking stuff in this that that is that interesting that like a guy like uther pendragon who's this warlord and he's this lusty bloodlust lust lust all this kind of lust he uh throw he squanders a chance to reunite the land because he just wants one night with this woman Mm -hmm. um and then they produce this perfect king arthur and then Arthur is brought down by the opposite. Well, not the opposite of lust, but I guess the perfected form of lust, like love, which is something that he's also used to kind of like um, knit his kingdom together. Like I, I thought that was one thing effective is when Arthur became king and he had to get these men's loyalty like that. Um, th- that 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 scene where he's knighted by that guy felt like a seduction a bit, like a romance. Like when you know you see a man get down on his knee and profess. His like uh, his his love and devotion to a concept or thing to another man, it does feel like he's being proposed to, right? Sure, yeah, you know, v- like visually like, at, at least. But I, I felt like that that's kind of what they're trying for. But I don't know that. Like, I, I honestly, I think that the the love triangle is so universal a story; it doesn't need another layer of like irony. Like, look, those lustful beasts can give birth to a perfect king, who can give birth to a lustful beast. AKA read first and second Kings in the Bible. Like that's we'll watch game of Thrones. Do, do like that's, I don't know. I, yeah. I feel like there's 20 minutes of the movie. They could have gotten back and, and, and given the other parts of the movie time to breathe. No, for, for sure. I, I think if I'm being generous, what they're trying to do is show that Merlin has kind of tried and failed a few times mm-hmm. with this whole thing. And they get at that when Arthur starts doing things that Merlin doesn't foresee mm-hmm. uh, in his visions of the future. And I, I think Uther is kind of representative of that too. You know, yeah. he, he wanted Uther to be the guy mm-hmm. who would unite all the kingdoms. And then that didn't happen. Uther got lusty. Uther uh, got horny and then he had to make Arthur to hopefully carry that carry that forward. And then Arthur right. starts doing things that he doesn't foresee. And he's like, uh-oh, you right. broke the sword. Oh, shit. You threw it in the lake. Right. I didn't see any of this coming. But but pleasant surprises. Like like things it, that he It did. all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it surprised Merlin. Yeah. Because I, I, this other thing is I thought that they were going... Um, when he lost his mind attacking Lancelot, I was like, man, this is so weird because... I know how this ends up and I'm trying to see like how like Arthur going fucking full bloodlust and, and crazy over this guy thinking he kills him. And then I, I, how is this going to, how is this actually going to serve the plot? And I don't think it does. I think it feels yeah. like, um, because ultimately this movie is about Arthur getting perspective and grace on a situation. Like, you know, Lancelot and Guinevere loved each other, and mm-hmm. I stood like like the office of king essentially stood in the way of, and and why why would something like that happen? Like this is obviously Lancelot's this incorruptible, upright guy, and you know I love Guinevere, and they all love me. Like it's it's I don't know it's a weird kind of way to back into an open relationship. Yeah, I think it taught Arthur something about himself and right. his wielding of power. You right. know, he was he he just kind of lost his head in that moment. Um yeah. and he he uses that opportunity. He gets lucky in that the sword is is reformed and and put back in his hand by the Lady of the Lake, but mm-hmm. uh it taught him that he can't afford those sort of slip-ups. Hmm. Um it taught him that he can't be selfish. He can't give in to his worst tendencies. If he's actually going to, 
do the thing that he's destined to do. Right. Um, so I guess there's a little bit of learning on Arthur's part from a, you know, from the non-love triangle aspect, from more of like a leadership perspective. But then like, the time when the, the love triangle bit him in the ass, um, I guess what's interesting about that is that he had essentially set out what he did. Like there, the kingdom has an, uh, uh, tons of peace and prosperity and... Now he's he's sitting there with a table full of warriors who have nothing to do, have nothing to do but like whore and drink, uh-huh. and and start r- lies and rumors. And it's kind of like, what do you do? What's the, the disease of more? Like, hey, there has to be another land to conquer. It has to like not being content in yourself. So he forgot that lesson he learned. But it wasn't in a moment of testing. It was in a moment of plenty and triumph. Yeah. And you know, there's like, I don't know. I guess I guess this is uh. This is a this is a how to fail spectacularly in leadership and politics and the multiple ways it can be done kind of movie. Uh-huh. The obvious takeaway from this story cuz uh, like I said early on I have never actually read the Arthurian legend mm-hmm. or or well, looked the, at it in any significant what way. What is the Arthurian legend because it's there's the monomyth, so many which, but there's so many different flavors of that, you know. There are right. and uh, like the the Arthurian legend as as I understand it now mm-hmm. after reading a little bit about mm-hmm. it is that you know, it evolved over right. many centuries. Yes, um, yes. the the French had a hand in it, the the English oh, oh, oh. like everybody's kind of got their hands in this Arthurian legend and has yeah. made it larger than life, which right. you know, it is. Uh, but yeah, th- then I looked at it from, uh, I said, well, this has so much like, this is so much like star Wars, which is, you know, that monomyth hero's mm-hmm. journey thing. Mm-hmm. The, the Campbellian, this is like uh, the OG, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the prime examples of it. The uh-huh. Arthurian legend, uh, right. that I just never knew about. And uh-huh. <laughs> so it was interesting to look at it through that lens mm-hmm. and sort of say, well, one of my favorite franchises of all times, my favorite stories of all time, is basically this story. Yeah. Uh, and it it was just surprising. Yeah, especially since you can see, like, Lucas's desire in the prequels to take it back to even more so. The Anakin is this kind of, like, genetic experiment to make a perfect, to, to, to generate a being that would bring balance to the Force. And, like, yeah. it, like, if Star Wars was almost Arthurian, by the time the prequels roll around, it's, like, explicitly so. I mean, Luke Skywalker is uh, King Arthur. Yeah. I mean, almost to the letter. Like, mm-hmm. the, the the journey that he goes on is almost identical. Yeah, like, Anakin can see him as Uther Pendragon, and Luke is Ar- Ar- King Arthur. There is, an, there is a love triangle, but it turns out that's solved neatly by one of them being <laughs> brothers and sisters. One yeah. leg collapsing under the weight of incest. Um, uh-huh. Uh, Star Wars comes out in 2019 on HBO. Leia and Luke just banging. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Star Wars After Dark. <laughs> and Han Solo is a Brienne figure that might split split up the, the love affair. <laughs> the other part of this movie that I like, because this movie is, you know, sort of three chunks with Uther, Arthur, and then Percival, uh, who's, oh, yeah. who's kind of the other main character here. And they do a little bit of setting up of that character with the, you know, the <laughs> the the battle between Lancelot and, is it Gwaine? Yeah, is that his name? Gawain. William Neeson's knight character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he steps in to kind of volunteer to defend the queen's honor, which sort of shows what kind of person he is. And I feel like you needed that scene in order for us to care about Percival later and understand yeah. who he is and why he'd go on this quest for Arthur. Uh, and and I think that last half is probably the best half or the best part of the movie for me, uh-huh. um, where Percival's on this quest and he kind of gets 
into this very trippy uh scenario where he's questing for the grail he's found the grail but morgana is defending it with her magic mm-hmm. and and he's seeing all sorts of hallucinations and he has to come to an understanding of you know why he's on this quest yeah uh, what he's actually fighting for and what it means to not just him but everyone have you found the secret that i have lost yes you and the land are one that to me like both visually and also from a storytelling perspective was some of the best stuff in this movie yeah like what like like the fact he went on the quest not so much to find the grail but to understand the, the truth of its purpose yeah and you know like like i imagine if you use a grail poorly it either shatters like the excalibur or perhaps it turns you into a the rapid aging mummy that's the strength of the the movie the fact that the the third it took to percival like percival is the third stage of merlin's experiment where yeah Mer- Arthur couldn't be the guy, but Arthur could inspire and train the guy to be the one that the land needs to ultimately heal them and bring them together. Um, but his introduction was horseshit. I felt like that needed a, a little bit more time it did. to even approach plausibility. Um, but yeah, like so like that worked for you, but imagine if they had actually nailed the character Percival and his introduction and, and it wasn't just like, oh, here's a guy... And here's this 45-second scene of him and Lancelot, and now he's going to be super important during the Grail quest like 30 minutes from now. Yeah. Um, it would have worked a lot better. Same if way we said if time. Liam Neeson had been like a bigger part of the plot, and maybe he was like Arthur's biggest booster, and this is like it makes sense that there's like this big betrayal that they, or they really make us feel like this is a betrayal rather than just telling us, you know? Um, there's a couple points throughout the movie where I felt like, boy, this... This did feel like a three-hour movie that got chopped down to two, two minutes 20. No, I'm very much a person who likes uh, a good character study, strong understanding of the motivations that then drive the plot forward. Yeah. That's not what you get with these type of legendary stories. You know, you get more surface-level thematic uh, sort of things, which I think I was more open to when I was a child and I was watching Star Wars. Right. Uh, and then those... That those things were enough. Now I need to really understand a character in order to invest in them, uh, and and you know put myself in their situation. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm looking for at a film, uh-huh. and I don't get any of that in this movie. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Although I I think the I don't think the movie is bad. No, uh, I want to say that I I think it has its moments. It's for the time for what it's going for. I think it mostly works. I think maybe they could have chose a different actor for Merlin, or, or just give or him better direction. Him, yeah, yeah, give, give him better direction. Maybe write him to not be quite so cheeky. Because uh, that sort of thing. I I've yeah. seen great art. Uh, like I've shit. I've seen uh, Marlon Brando off the fucking rails. Being a great actor yeah. doesn't mean anything if you don't have somebody that can like harness that and use it to you know uh, to, to the great effect. What do you think of the end of this movie? Because I think uh, this is the most incomprehensible dispatching thing. Dispatching the sword. Imagine like in the end of Lord of the Rings when Sam and Frodo go up to the top of Mount Doom and they throw the ring in and then uh, Frodo's gone and Sam rides back to the Shire just in time to see him f- taking off across the the, 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 you know, the sea to whatever, Valinir or whatever the fuck, the, yeah. the, the, the Middle Earth version of heaven. It'd feel like a giant non sequitur, right? And I felt like that 
Like, unless you know what the hell is going on, oh, this is Arthur going to Avalon, which is essentially the Arthurian Legends version of Valhalla, to recover from his wounds and sleep, and but he might return when Britain needs him. That hmm. okay. is completely, completely lost. And I'm like, Jesus, yeah. can we get... Like, like I, to me, I think it'd been cool, like, if old man Arthur, weary from the battle and wounded, is, is being, you know, loaded on his boat. He needed a moment with Percival to explain that. Like, Percival's like, my lord, why? Why? Like, I, I did what you want. Why are you leaving? And, you know, hey, it's your turn. I, I don't know. It's I, something. I mean, I mostly got it. I, I guess I didn't understand, you know, he could return at any time. They, but they I, don't I mean, make obviously that necessarily clear. I mean, Mer- uh, the, the King Arthur throughout <laughs> right. all, all on, these centuries. Come on, everything. Everything's cool. Where the fuck are you? Everything's cool during the the Battle of Britain. <laughs> what didn't didn't did, wasn't worried. Knew you guys had it. The, knew he, you guys he, knew you guys had Hitler the whole time. He might come back on this Brexit thing though. He he might. <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I guess I didn't get that part of it, but I did. I think maybe they could have done with something that told me that he was actually going to die this time because last time he kind of survived for way longer than I expected, right? He's under some kind of spell or something for like 10 years or 20 years. He's, he's under the spell forever. And I'm like, when is he going to die? Is he going to die? And I guess at the end of this, I didn't necessarily know if he was going to die because he hadn't before. That's where the le- that's where the legend kind of has a problem when you when you put it into real history. Because like I was thinking like I'm a knight and I'm crusading for this uh, uh, Grail, and the king says the only thing that can heal the realm is the Grail. And ten years later, the realm's still around. The king's still sitting on his throne. Maybe he's a little <laughs> bit more daughter. But I'm like calling bullshit. Uh-huh. Like okay. Maybe things aren't as great as they used to be, but uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, we can get some social programs going. Maybe we can help the peasants. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe we don't need the the Grail. But that's the, you're supposed to. I mean, that's that's what's well, that's some of the things that drove me crazy. Like like a Battlestar is like they did shit like that too. Like instead of being like a reasonable time, like a dramatically reasonable amount of time, it was always like some crazy number. But you know, it's it's the legend, right? Yeah, yeah. The fact that a knight would by himself no less quest and like that and not you see these in. guys like they're climbing the himalayas in full plate armor right and they're freezing to death and they're it, it's 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 that it's and 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 you know they got a mod they essentially got a two-minute montage right so mm-hmm. they throw on the fact it's been 10 20 years just to really impress you yeah no it's um surprising to me that percival doesn't check in at any point and yeah. be like is the king still alive do we need to quest anymore yeah it's been eight years. Maybe the king years. was just depressed, and he's had some time to process it, and now he's like, hey, he comes yeah. back, and he doesn't have the grail, but the king, the kingdom's great. Yeah, how would he get word of that? Arthur got remarried, uh, you know, <laughs> Lancelot and Guinevere are serving at a convent together, and they're happy as clams. Like, yeah, I know. The, the... I tried to get a raven to you, bro. I'm sorry I didn't, didn't get you over to Himalayas, but... Arthurian legend doesn't give a shit about this. I know. It's, that's it's not about that. It's not about the logistics. But it's that's about the, prob- the themes. That, that's the problem with the adaptation, though, is yeah. that like, I think modern audiences want those details to be sweat. All right. We got to talk about Nipple Boy. Okay. Because I, every the- time Nipple Boy comes on screen, I feel like I need to take a shower. It's so weird because they're clearly going for some kind of Caligula feeling. <laughs> or but or I, Cherub or... But but honestly, I, uh, I don't know what the big deal with Mordred is. Like, Arthur was a shit king, 
at the time he came about and he was brought about by some kind of weird blood magic the same way Arthur is. And he's like, I need to know. I need to know Mordred's platform. Yeah. Before I say who I'm rooting for in this battle. But they show him up in this weird Caligula gold armor. That's like, I guess if, if he was like real, like if they, like if they sh- showed him torturing people or like impaling people or doing weird shit like that, it would have made sense. Or more Ghana was more of a dark sorcerer than kind of like a sexy sorcerer Then this would have made sense. But like <laughs> having him traipse around in a gold armor just looked stupid, looked really dumb. Yeah. I mean, it seemed to me like. Uh, Morgana just has this revenge fantasy against Arthur for no real well, reason. He killed like, her father. I mean, n- n- not he, but he is the. I can see how she transfers okay. some rage All on right. to get revenge, or because you know if she thinks the ball bounced a little bit differently, her dad might have been king, or at least a great lord instead of being dead. Um, and like you know, also like I see that's the thing. Like I need to know what her relationship with her mother was like as a result of this. Mm-hmm. I need to know. And when when she came back in the 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 Arthur's court, that was like a five second scene. Like I thought that there yeah. needed to be some discussion about that, and maybe she needed to be because she's supposed. To, I I've always got an opinion that she's kind of like a trickster mm-hmm. as well. It's not that she's just um, a victim of circumstance, but she's also like very clever and cunning. And you kind of get a little of that in the way she tricks Merlin in the cave, but yeah. you don't really understand what the hell's going on there, so you can't appreciate her cleverness. Uh huh. And we never got to see her like affect some kind of like love or affection for Arthur, so it never really feels like a betrayal, right? It just feels like a weird thing that happened. Yeah, um, almost, almost like a jealousy thing. Like I wanted to be the only child, or I should have been the one yeah. who you know was queen or yeah, something. My like, father should have been the one to united, and your father with his stupid magic sword and Merlin's <laughs> interference. And I mean, yeah, like it's yeah. it's all there. It's just they didn't bother to connect it, right? Uh, but then they 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 tried to through this Mordred kid who looks dirty, just looks dirty. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it other than like this this. He looks Boy, like a he, nipple he, suit he's wearing is disgusting. Yeah. Both both the the body pieces and also the helmet. The it's helmet, grotesque. It really is. And I I just can't even hardly stand to look at it. Uh and, and it makes me wonder like is this is this armor magical? Is this something that is simply like a part of this magical being that is Mordred because it seems to grow with him. Like he turns from a child into a man or I would say maybe a young teenager. Oh, that's easy. They just use the breastplate stretcher. (laughs) You know, when he goes through puberty, he just uses the stretcher a couple times and you're, you're good to go. That's fair. Uh, but, but it does make me wonder: Is it magical? Or, and well, also, what what a huge waste to make a full suit of armor for a child! Right? Holy shit! They're never actually going to use it, and and they're going to grow out of it in like a year. Well, I think there's something to that. Like the Morgana wastes a lot of her influence and magic on keeping her appearances and being beautiful, yeah. and like that's something that clearly was important to her for her son too. And he's very vague. There's a couple things, and, that, and when it's exposed to yeah. who she truly is, Mordred kills her. Right. Right, and that's like the monster she's created that only values vanity and beauty and surface things and doesn't have any of the things that Merlin is trying to teach. Uh, His his progeny, his genetic manipulation projects. The other thing is, to to your point, there's a line where Morgana strongly implies that he's got this special armor and that no no living man may kill you or something like that. And I'm like, huh, I wonder how that's... But it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter, I don't think. No, Arthur does, in fact, kill him. 
Yeah, with uh, a with an assist from Lancelot. Himself, but... Right, right. Maybe that's what it is. He does the. He he does the. Uh, I mean, that's the first time I've ever seen that. In the well, of course, I've seen it a bunch of times. It's in Lord of the Rings where the guy spitefully pulls the sword close to so he can get the kill shot in. That's what they did in yeah. uh, Star Trek. What Nemesis, right? No, oh, okay. Uh, with the Shinjin or whatever. I, I've blocked that movie out. I hate that movie. <laughs> um, anyway, this is the first time I've seen that. So maybe that's where the thing that like more that that uh, Arthur was already a dead man. And that's why he was able to kill him. But hmm. I don't know. I felt like they could have done a better job with that because, yeah, that armor was supposed to be something. But that's the other thing is, like, once... I found it very hard to tell the difference between the knights once they became part of the round table and they universally adopted yeah. that shiny armor. And then at the end, it's like you're... you're I guess you're fight, shiny armor versus grimy armor. Yeah, for sure. That's the only way to tell the Except for the golden boy apart. who... Like, why <laughs> would he... Like, what, what in his character would suggest that he would allow his knights to become grimy and gross like that? Yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, like his mother's obsessed with looks and and glamour, and seems like he's being raised too. But his men are all a bunch of sloppy pigs. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, wasting all of his time on personal appearance. Maybe and... they all should have had like uh, golden armor, um, mm-hmm. something. But to, to tell it was the... sometimes hard to tell gold from silver, though, because oh, really? In some scenes, yeah, I, I thought lighting? at one point that Arthur was like riding, or one of the knights was riding Mordred's horse. Yeah, because I thought the the horse had the gold armor. It was it was difficult to tell. Um, overall, though, I think with some exceptions in like the actual sets, I thought the look of this film was pretty 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 good like and other than filmed in on location muddy, and but... you know some of the things where you ha- saw like knights fighting on horseback and rivers i thought was pretty cool yeah some of those fight scenes like they're actually hitting each other with heavy objects and you can tell yeah, like arthur jumping when they're swinging off... a fucking sword and hitting their plate they're yeah. actually hitting their plate with a heavy object yeah yeah or like when they've got those maces and they're just trying to concuss each other to yeah. death it's, it's pretty crazy or arthur flying off at the top of a castle wall the f- <laughs> Oh to drop God. the people's elbow on that warlord in the in in the river is like God damn they really yeah. they really went for it but as you said also there are some weird things because like you know a, a sword would hit a person's armor and clearly did not penetrate mm-hmm. and then like five seconds later the FX guy would wake up and like oh I got to hit the button and then like blood would start to kind of pump through the seeps I'm like hmm you know nowadays they would just you'd just see the guy getting impaled through you know they just do it. They just do CGI yeah. and and uh, they would they'd have a little the, the armor be rent and then blood would start pouring out and I mean shit you watch Game of Thrones you know how it's done yeah it's it's tough to go back to this kind of stuff honestly yeah. our our tech has gotten so much better I wish there was a way to still organically use like large crowds of people um, because that's the thing I do miss like when we're watching Conan and you see some of those like cast a thousand scenes like CGI. Yeah. There's a certain amount of lack of fis- and I know that you can do it like like you can make a hundred people look like a thousand, and I think yeah. that's more. But like whenever, and anytime they they generate just a mass crowd of people, like big sweeping shots of kings, I always think it, it's fakier than when you actually just there to location shooting a ton of people. Yeah, no, I agree. And even some of the editing techniques, you know, I mentioned this is looks like it was edited on film because it was. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like they sweated those details either because I look at Star Wars, which was also edited on film, mm-hmm. and it shows George Lucas is a damn fine editor. Well, he also had uh, like other two other world-class editors right. helping him out too. And 
you don't see those kinds of choppy edits. You don't see those missed frames, those right. kind of things. It It is smooth, and this movie is not. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird because it doesn't seem like... Because I thought for sure when we were watching this again, like, there's probably a three-hour cut of this floating around somewhere that has, you know, like, the true vision of John Borman. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like... It seems like he wrote a script that's three hours long, but he actually shot something that's roughly two hours and 20 minutes long. There was a there's a there's a minute long cut that's floated. Probably we actually saw it that was rated X for its day, um, and then the huh. the thing that actually got distributed was thirty seconds shorter. So like, so it's weird because it feels like a movie that had three hours of film shot, and then the studio's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? You're gonna you're gonna kill us? Yeah. Rip forty minutes of this out." But so yeah, I don't know why it's so herky jerky when it's essentially what was supposed to be shot. Yeah. Um. But there you go. I don't know. You also can't like it's it's not as easy to fix because like, it's, it's so easy to fix stuff nowadays too. Yeah. Like if it cuts choppy, you can use all kinds of digital tools to like extend it or blur. Like so, so many different things you couldn't do if you just had film. But you're right, that's something that disappointed too. 